Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 60. Today I'm speaking with Bill Demas, CEO at Conviva, a company that offers streaming media intelligence and analytics. We discuss the ongoing streaming wars playing out amongst Netflix, Disney, Amazon, Warner Media, and others, and what it means for consumers. His views on when it's time for a startup to hire a professional CEO and more. Enjoy. I'm here with Bill Demas, the CEO of Conviva, a uh, company that actually works with some really large brands in the media space, CBS, HBO, Hulu, Warner Media, and they provide streaming media intelligence and analytics. And Bill also is a four-time CEO, so he's been doing this for quite some time, so I'm really stoked to have him on this episode and talk a lot about uh, not only scaling, but obviously also the streaming space, which is super, super interesting because it's heating up like crazy. So, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jeff, it's my pleasure. It's great to be on the podcast and I look forward to our conversation. Nice. So I'm going to start this off the way, you know, I start off pretty much every episode with uh, who you are and what you do on a day to day basis. Kind of give us a 30,000 foot view of, of, of what, what your day looks like and what you're what you're working on currently. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, you know, again, I want to offer a balanced view. So I am a dad. So I take a lot of pleasure in that. That is that is job one. And then uh, a lot of my day is spent in running Conviva. And as you said earlier, uh, there's this new category emerging called streaming media intelligence. And with the streaming industry growing so rapidly um, across the board and with the main way people are going to be watching TV. The majority of the world is going to be watching TV via streaming uh, by 2022. We play a critical role in uh, ensuring they have a great quality of experience and helping folks at these publications better know their audience, uh, better monetize uh, their their offering um, and helping them make better decisions through through our enterprise analytics. So as CEO of Conviva, what does your day to day look like? Like, where do you spend your time, you know, throughout the day? Uh, you know, there is no uh, there is no one classic day. Obviously, <laughs> I typically don't do a podcast a day, so I'm, I'm happy to be on this. I, I would say that I would divide my job probably into three areas. One is around uh, product development. Um, do we have the right product market fit? We have four product lines right now. How do we grow product? How do we understand the pain points of customers? That that area of, of product and product delivery. Two is around uh, sales and marketing. Uh, what are we doing to be able to tell our story uh, better and more effectively uh, to, uh, to the public? Because Conviva is not well known, yet plays a really critical role in the success of streaming TV. Uh, spend time with sales, spending time with customers. I was last week, I was in Australia in Melbourne uh, talking with uh, prospects and customers and getting to attend the Australian Open. Um, so part of that is is that. And then the third part is just ensuring we're, we've built a great culture, one that treats people super well, uh, that's inclusive, uh, that is, is consistent worldwide uh, as we have offices around the world and making sure we we are a great place to work. Uh, recently, we just won an award from Fortune as the fifth best workplace in the Bay Area. So, congratulations! Um, uh, yeah, thank you so much. That, thank you so much. That's quite a uh, accomplishment. I feel like 
you know, we talk about culture a lot. We've talked about culture on, on, on previous episodes on this podcast with other guests, and it's it's just such a critical part of a company. I feel, and oftentimes in the early days of starting a company, right, it's not something that founders or the uh, the you know the 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 early team really often take into account when they really should. Uh, so it's great to hear that you know uh, that that you know helped with your award. So. Yeah, I mean, the, the award is the the out, you know, since it was employees who were, were asked by by fortune, it was a, you know, it's really the outward manifestation of, of, you know, the type of place we have on a day to day basis here. Nice. So let's let's dive a little deeper into some of the products and services that you guys offer, because I, I think in order to, to kind of move forward uh, with, you know, with this episode, I think one of the things that I want to get the audience to understand a little bit is what media intelligence and analytics is and and what and what are you actually providing towards these customers uh, that you're servicing? Yeah, sure, Jeff. So um, I'm going to take go back to 30,000 feet, as we said a few minutes ago. And and the, the big picture is streaming video is a lot more complex than than cable in the world of cable. If you're a consumer, Cable goes into your apartment building or home, you watch something, it's a direct connection. The internet wasn't built for streaming and video really, which is one of the problems we here at Conviva are, are looking or have been solving. And so when you get a, vi a piece of video via streaming, there's the video, it transmits to an origin server, which then transmits to an ISP, like a Comcast, transmits to a CDN, content delivery network like Akamai goes to your application and device. And then ultimately we have to know where that person is. And there's literally, if you take all of those data points, it's something like a hundred million data points that, that, that potentially need to be tracked. And so what we do is Conviva is like the Conviva inside for the success of most of the uh, streaming TV publishers around the world we work to ensure that that streaming delivery is flawless. We provide analytics in real time uh, to enable uh, that data to be uh, uh, shared with generally the technical operation areas of, of those publishers. And if something goes wrong, we go out and send an alert. And what we're doing, Jeff, is, is really at unbelievable scale, right? Because everything we, we do is in real time. So we are able uh, to see the habits by device um, of about 500 million consumers around the world. We, uh, we see what those patterns are on literally a second by second basis, um, all anonymized to be clear about that. We process about 150 billion video stream hours per year. We, uh, we are enabled in 3 billion applications and devices worldwide. So we're operating at true live TV scale across five continents. And so that's the core, core of what we offer. We've introduced three new products recently that basically take those same, what we call quality of experience metrics and apply that to advertising. We also do content analytics, so we understand, we help our publishers understand their audience better in terms of what the consumption habits are for folks. And then lastly, we have uh, a social media offering that enables publishers to better understand what their consumers are doing um, 
what what types of content in aggregate uh, those consumers are looking at online. So it really provides a 360 degree view of ensuring the service is working, uh, better understanding um, advertising for those services that offer advertising and content and social uh, behaviors and trends of their audience. Gotcha. So let's bring that let's bring that down a little bit. Let's let's drop down from thirty thousand feet and let's because I I understand uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about uh, you were recently at the Super Bowl, which uh, just happened, and uh, so let's say and the Super Bowl obviously is one of the most watched, uh, you know, television broadcasts in, in over the course of each year, and if. If they were to bring it online, you're saying your technology at Conviva would be able to help them understand um, who's watching, what, you know, when they're watching, how long they're watching, if there's maybe if they're if they're paying attention, what they're tweeting or. How, it's not it's not at that level. So to think about it more as Fox, which which is a partner of ours, obviously I didn't watch it streaming since I had the good fortune to be there live. But we may be able to say things like, what are, what's the rebuffering? In other words, we take the log data and then, and then apply our intelligence to it. And then they, their executives or their, their uh, technical operations folks will look at a dashboard that changes in real time to let them know, you know how long did it take the video to start? Um, what's the rebuffering ratio? What's the video start time? What are the, what are the video failure metrics? Uh, which CDNs are working and not working, what devices are working and not working within the standards that they apply. If they're running advertising, right, which which Fox Fox do, is there is there an empty ad response? Um, uh, is there an invalid ad response? Is there uh, an invalid media file? Those kinds of things. So those are updated in real time. So we provide the analytics around the service and then they can measure that. They're able to measure that across our entire network of, of five continents worth of publishers. How are they performing versus others? Um, and again, we've been doing this for the Men's World Cup, the Women's World Cup, the Olympics, most Super Bowls, et cetera. So we're able to provide that data. And what as streaming audiences are growing 50 to 75% year over year, I expect the Super Bowl, just like most content, is primarily going to be watched via streaming. In that case, you know, in over the next couple of years, um, obviously that could also be internet connected TVs, but that's really where the industry's headed and that's where we're trying to help as uh, there's a lot of advantages of streaming versus linear. Right, so at, obviously as streaming pro uh, continues to progress as the popular, uh, you know, method of which people choose to watch content. Uh, we're seeing more companies like Netflix and Hulu, which obviously have been around for quite some time, uh, which in terms of streaming, as uh, at least, and also um, relative to the newcomers, like Apple now has uh, Apple TV Plus, mm -hmm. and Comcast, uh, NBC Universal is, is launching Peacock, and then there's Disney Plus, and then Warner Media has HBO Max. And there, and the list goes on, right? So all these companies are coming in, are coming into the market with these brand new products. What, I'm curious, what, what do you think some of the biggest hurdles for these new entrants is going is going to be 
you know, when when com competing in this space? Yeah, so I mean, there, there's, uh, Jeff, several factors there, right? So one is um, uh, around budgets and cord cutting and how much of the budget from cable TV goes to streaming, which we think the majority of it is, is going to be over the next couple of years. I think in the world of streaming, there's two big mega core issues. One is distribution and one is content, right? You have to really excel at both. So, you know, Netflix and Hulu, uh, obviously Disney Plus uh, announced huge subscriber numbers a couple of days ago of, I think, right. 20, over 20 million. Yeah, over, yeah, over 20 million, was, I think. Over 20 million. Might have even been higher than that. But whatever the number was, that was huge. I think in that same release, I saw Hulu announced over 30 million. And that's just for the United States. Uh, we've got, as you pointed out, and we're working with these companies, NBC's Peacock is launching in the spring. HBO Max is launching in the spring. And so the first thing is if you're a large entity with great distribution, that is going to help a lot because without the distribution, it's going to be very difficult to be successful That, in terms of a highly popular service. The second one is content right, that you need to have unique content. And content is so important that we've seen several shows just for streaming TV uh, be bid for between 500 million and a billion um, dollars for that to run that content on streaming over the next few years. I think it's Big Bang Theory and Office and Friends and some others um, that that you, you, you need that established content to introduce consumers to new content. So right, right. I think if you can check the box on distribution and check the box on content, you're gonna do very, very well in terms of reaching a mass audience. At the same time, the power of streaming is you can take uh, uh, content from one geography and bring it to another. There's a really increasingly popular global uh, sports streamer called DAZN that does some, some martial arts and boxing here in the United States. But in their case, if you want to watch, you know, Premier League or Championship League uh, soccer in Europe, but you live in Japan, the only way you're going to be able to see that is through DAZN. And I think uh, content that offers niche, uh, where there's niche rabbit audiences, it could be cricket from India, it could be BBC shows, um, it could be, you know, NFL football in Europe and that type of thing. I think those will do well in in um in a little bit more of a niche setting and in, in key markets um but to answer your question it's about content and distribution and to succeed at a large scale nationally and internationally those are the two things uh that will really be needed do you think like um you know one of the upcoming uh things that people like to watch apparently not this is not my demographic or target uh you know audience um for, for at least on, for me, it's not. That's you know they're not reaching out to me. But esports is uh, something that a lot of people seem to really love, and they're it's becoming a very popular thing to watch. And there's competitions and tournaments and things like that. Uh, I, I could see I could see like one of these one of these companies picking up streaming rights for you know an event like that. Uh, you know maybe hosting live events. I think that would be a super interesting kind of way to uh to break into the fold and I, I at some point you'd have to think that like nfl football is going to be streamed uh you know more people are going to watch it on the stream versus on the tv uh, i know mm -hmm. twitter has uh you know 
for example, Twitter and Facebook have have jumped in on on this race as well, and they've been and even Amazon I think has also signed deals with the NFL and MLB, for example, to stream select games. Uh, is do you see that as another way that companies can uh, differentiate themselves from these other streaming services? I do. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in there, Jeff. So I'll, I'll yeah. try to do both. So esports, without question, is growing super rapidly. I mean, there are literally esport teams and leagues, right? That are professional teams and leagues that are popping up in major metropolitan areas in the United States, and clearly in certain parts of the world, especially Asia, esports is really popular. So, so you are supporting, and and I think smart in doing so, in in suggesting that this is why most media type organizations, including including sports organizations, streaming is going to be the predominant way they're they're going to be interacting with their fans and promoting their their service. So esports is absolutely um, up and to the right and and is is growing rapidly. And streaming, you would think, is going to be the main way, unless you attend live, uh, that fans are going to be able to interact and watch uh, what those individuals and teams are doing. Regarding the NFL, which is a customer, right? So I'm giving my personal opinion. I have I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. So I want to make sure I'm caveating that and clear. I think it brings up a really fascinating situation. The, the NFL's... Uh, deal with the large networks, I think, comes up in 2022. And yet you've got this major movement towards uh, watching content on streaming. And the question becomes, how valuable is that content to the linear TV guys? Because you would think, you know, I think we saw something like 90 of the top 100 shows on regular TV were football games this past year. But what happens if that content were to leave and go to go to some level of a streaming service? What would that do to the linear guys? Because they'd have their morning shows and and the rest of the ratings are so low that you would think that's invaluable to them to sustain linear TV. At the same time, you've got companies like Apple, Amazon, Google, Twitter, and, and, and Disney and Warner Media and, and, and obviously Peacock and others that want to drive their, their all in on streaming. Would, would one of them bid a tremendous amount of money to get some of that NFL package? Yeah. And I, I really think that, that this NFL negotiating and wherever it winds up, I have no idea, is gonna be an, a tipping point because if some big streaming bidder bids and wins a lot of the NFL package, it has huge ramifications for linear TV. It has huge ramifications for satellite TV. And I think it could be a real signal and tipping point that that streaming is going to dominate because there's so many eyeballs attached to NFL and obviously college football. Definitely. I, and, you know, Amazon, is in it, I think, is one of the more interesting companies in terms of the streaming space because they're not talked about a lot, but they own Twitch, and Twitch is all uh-huh. about esports right now, and I feel like they could totally broaden that out, right? They could they could say Twitch is for any sport, you know, streaming, uh, streaming sport. They could have they could have uh, soccer, they could have uh, NFL football, they could have MLB. You know, they could they could Amazon has the money to spend, and I'm sure that yeah. the, you know you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I mean I think if you look at it, and again we're just estimating, but Apple, Google, Microsoft. 
you know, all those companies are worth a trillion dollars, right? And then some of the what classic linear guys are worth a lot, you know, worth less from a valuation standpoint. Mm-hmm. So where all this winds up, I think I think you're right, Twitch. For the for the esports would be would be an area that is inevitably going to grow because it's a great way to to watch and uh, watch and consume content. Another area, since we're talking about sport, is what about gambling, right? So you've got gambling that is legal in many parts of the world, and and we now have the Las Vegas Raiders, right, coming to to Vegas next uh, next season. New Jersey, I think, just legalized gambling as well. And a lot of the games are about uh, making in-quarter bets and halftime bets and is a way to potentially sustain an audience. And if you need to be able to click on things while you're watching, well, if there's a gambling angle, right, or betting angle, then streaming is going to be a much better environment than TV or linear TV. So. I think, you know, I just think if we listen back to this podcast in a couple of years, I do think a bunch of this is going to come true. But but we are just at a tipping point where the streaming streaming is is just going to explode and be be the predominant way uh, people watch watch uh, content. They can watch it on the go. It enables a lot more interactivity. Um, And so uh, I guess that's why we're talking is this is this is on its way to being a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, we, we we for the past I don't know how many years it's been a, it's been a quite a few. We've been we've been since social media became a popular thing that people are using. We've been talking about second screen, right? Like having you know having your TV, you're watching on your TV, and then you're and then you're tweeting on your on your phone at the same time. Now, you know, in the future, potentially you won't you'll be you'll it'll be a single screen, but it's uh-huh. all going to be together, right? You're, you're exactly right. It's funny how trends, right? If you stick around long enough, the the trend goes away and the trend comes back. But you're exactly right. If you have an Internet-enabled TV or a large tablet or something, you, you it actually would be more efficient. And potentially, if you have to be sensitive to react to something, it's far more efficient to do it on a single screen, at least for a live event, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I agree with you. I think it's going to go back to internet-based services while you are while you are consuming uh, content uh, via via streaming so let's talk a little bit about subscriptions uh in terms of them being a business model obviously everything today has has been shifting towards this subscription-based model where you pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee and you get access to you know the content or you know as, as is the case with netflix um should companies that are moving into the space like Disney Plus, obviously, Disney has a wealth of content that people love, you know, uh, and I, I wrote about this in the past where, uh, you know, Disney is in, is in an interesting spot because they're launching Disney Plus at a time where all the all the kids, people my age who grew up with that content now mm-hmm. either have kids of their own or want to relive that content. Right. So they're yeah. willing to fork over the money uh, for Disney Plus to get access to that that trove of content, that treasure trove of content. But, uh, and, and, and a lot of these companies also have similar, you know, good offerings, but at at some point, or it's can our consumers wallets just become too thin. Like how many are, is that a concern? Do you, uh, that, that these companies are thinking about, you know, what do you think? 
Well, I think um, one thing is I think all of the most of these services are being priced at an at a really great rate for consumers. Right. Mm -hmm. Disney, I think Disney Plus, which is, as you said, an absolute treasure trove of content is seven bucks, which is less than it takes to see a movie in a movie theater or or even rent something. And on top of it, they're putting out content direct to stream. So I don't know if you got to see The Mandalorian. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you watch it, but not, I have not watched it yet. But it's on my watch list. <laughs> it, it's worth. It's worth a binge watch. I think it's eight episodes of about thirty minutes each, and that really drew in an audience. And you think I read that the Mandalorian two will be coming out in the fall. So not only are you getting all the Star Wars, all the Marvel, all the Pixar, all the National Geographic, and some of the other content they picked up from Fox, but you're actually getting amazing content that only is available on streaming. And then on top of it, right, you can get these bundles like Disney plus Hulu plus ESPN, which I have at home for like 13 bucks a month. I believe that's the number. So that winds up being a really, really good deal. That said, you are exactly right that the the consumer only has so much they're willing to spend. And so you've got to choose now from you know, uh, HBO's coming out, NBC, Peacock's coming out. You've got Quibi, which is a new, um, and you've got all these other services as well. So the money has to come from somewhere. It's there isn't money doesn't grow on trees, and I think it's going to come from cable the cable subscriptions, right? If people are paying fifty, sixty, eighty, a hundred dollars a month, and you can get the content that you want. Right. Or if you like the cable setup, there is this uh, category of companies called VMVPDs, but those are almost like aggregated bundles um, that you can watch live TV, you know, um, uh, that Sling has and Hulu offers and others. That's another way to replicate that experience itself. So I think price sensitivity really matters and the the dollars are going to really have to come from people's cable subscriptions. Um, and then I think people are going to pick their favorites three to five services. And, and, uh, there'll be, you know, a lot of those will be the major guys we've talked about. There, there'll be some niche content winners as well, but people aren't going to spend, you know, 20, have 20 subscriptions a month either. Right. To your point. Right. And at, at, at the prices that they're at, if they did, they'd be, you know, basically equivalent, you know, equivalent to a cable subscription at this point. Um, so if if it if it is a way to you know if it is a way to either to save money or just to get access to the content you like, um, you know like you said money doesn't grow on trees so they have to kind of pick what they want. At the same time, I I I worry that companies like, um, and you know they may not care, but like companies like Verizon and uh, Comcast, which obviously owns NBC, it's interesting though because what I'm what I'm getting at is that. They also provide the the pipes to people. That, you know, they're your internet connection. They're your provider, your ISP. And if they want, you know, if if they want people to buy a cable subscription because it's it's in their interest as well, you know, how does that kind of work out, right? Or, or you know, because you can buy, you can usually if you bundle, you know, phone, cable, and internet, you get mm -hmm. a better deal, right? Um, right. Versus versus when you don't. Uh, so, well, I think on that? you bring up a really good point, uh, Jeff. So one one point is that sometimes services don't work. Verizon, I think, had a service called Go, 
a couple years ago that did not work out and maybe you know offering media is, is not quite quite in their in in their DNA and what they want to do I think the fascinating one is Comcast right but Comcast not only owns NBC they also own a very popular service in England called uh, Sky mm-hmm. right and so you've got uh, if, if you're familiar with the Clayton Christensen innovators dilemma on one hand, they are the the big one of the big winners in the world of cable, but we know cable is is declining. Yet they're also offering Sky, which is streaming. They will be offering Peacock, which I think has a lot of really good offers. And at what point, where do, where are they going to put their their energy, their muscle, and their money? Right, because I suspect you know the Comcast on the cable side is quite lucrative. All these streaming guys are going to be losing money initially to get an audience, and you've you've got this this dilemma, right, in terms of what to do. Like um, a prisoner's dilemma. <laughs> it's a little bit right. There's innovators' dilemma, prisoners' dilemma. There's another concept called creative destruction, which is you've got one thing and then you build a new industry, and the other other industry declines, and uh, you got to figure out what to do. My sense is they're they're realizing right what the, these guys don't want to follow what happened to newspapers and music and others where you're if you're trying to hold on too much to the old media environment and not somewhat cannibalize yourself you'll wind up losing because this is the the secular trend is really towards uh, towards streaming so my sense is again i have no inside knowledge that 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 comcast is going to further um uh, support and drive peacock and sky because they've got to win the new environment even if it necessitates uh, losing, you know, ultimately losing Comcast subscribers. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's a great point, and and also it also you know I want to talk a little bit about now how hardware is also in the mix, right? When, when we talk about streaming, where there's also a hardware element. There's there's companies like Apple who have the Apple TV, the actual actual physical device Apple TV. In mm-hmm. addition to Amazon, has the Amazon Fire Stick uh, and other Fire products. And I'm wondering, do, does this the, do these hardware devices give give these guys a competitive advantage, or uh, you know, they're because they're already in people's homes now, and if with with uh, with a proper streaming service like Apple TV, what they're rolling out, I haven't seen any numbers on that uh, yet, uh, but um, but you know, there every everyone who bought an iPhone essentially got a free year of of Apple TV, and then mm-hmm. after that, what is it like four ninety nine a month or something? Um, right for extremely limited content by the way but yes right yeah so yes how does the hardware kind of play into all this well what's interesting again since we're talking some about business and strategy and we have entrepreneurs listening you know you have to focus on what's your highest priority so the question becomes for apple if they're trying to roll out a service but they've got competing hardware where 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 are they putting more emphasis? I mean, the same thing with Amazon. You've got Fire, and you've got your own service, which obviously they're they're you know they've got to they've got to depend on other distribution channels. So what's interesting is either App, Apple has. To, I mean, I think the these hardware guys have to allow other competing services if they want their services appearing on other pieces of hardware, right? Because the winner. Uh, we have a if people want to download it, we've got a uh, on conviva.com, we have a, a state of the streaming report. And one of the things it shows is the big winner is not huge Apple and huge Amazon, but relatively smaller, although still pretty big, Roku, 
right? Mm-hmm. Roku is the major player. And if you, I think you saw last week, there was Fox and Roku weren't, weren't, uh, did not have an agreement until right before the Super Bowl that Fox was, was uh, broadcasting. So I would say right now it does not give them an advantage. Um, it could because because their software or their streaming service is dependent on other hardware manufacturers. If they wind up if they wind up with more of a, you know, major, if not somewhat monopolistic position, then they would have more power. But they need to be able to offer their their uh, streaming services to other devices. So I don't think it necessarily helps them. I think what helps them is they've got amazing distribution, right? You could say Apple really limited content. I mean, compared to Disney Plus, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But you can't really count out Apple because they've got what a billion to two billion devices uh, in everyone's hands around the world, or in, in most, in many folk, billion plus people use their products, and then Amazon has signed up over half the United States and, and more and more around the world for Amazon Prime. So I think their advantage is more on their traditional distribution network and less so on the hardware side. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's change gears a little bit because yeah, the streaming stuff, I feel like we could talk about that all day because um, there's just so much going on in this particular space. And we'll, I'll make sure to link uh, to the state of the streaming. That would be awesome. Uh, white paper uh, in in the podcast post uh, once this goes live but let's let's change gears a little bit and 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 talk about uh scaling businesses which is something you're great at you've been uh you know scaling them businesses from you know from you said you came in uh around 50 to 100 employees usually you come in and and as ceo of these companies previously you were uh ceo at uh shopkick right and um of course as well as at Turn, and you also held executive roles at Yahoo and Microsoft. Um, so tell, talk to us a little bit about um, what's some of the most important metrics for a startup to focus on, in, especially in like the first year. You know, where, where should they be focusing uh, their time, their effort, and what should they be looking at to, to make decisions? Yeah, I think that the biggest, well, I mean, rather than metrics, I think metrics are super important, but that's when you're scaling something successfully, then those metrics really matter. Before then, I mean, the most important thing is, you know, the the, the classic, what is your product market fits? What are you doing that no one else in the world is doing? Because one way to really grow a business is not to have competition. Like for us at Conviva, at scale, like at the light scale we are, we don't really have competition. Um, we need to continue to push on innovation, the value prop, pricing, and other things as, as we continue to grow. So when I look at, at what a startup does, the first thing is, is what you're offering differentiable, unique. As you're building it, do you have customers that are lined up and ready to use it? Um, I think that becomes really, really important, right? If you're designing, I'm thinking more as a B2B person, just so you know, which is more my background. But we, you should build products that when you're at the finish line, um, there are, are companies already there uh, to buy it, right? And so, you know, it was funny on one of my little plane rides, I, I was able to see a documentary um, on General Magic, which were all these amazingly smart 
engineers who went off to do super, super great things. Um, the founder of the Nest, the founder of ultimately what became Google Android and others. And they had all this amazing innovation. But when they brought it to the marketplace, uh, there was not the right response because even with all the amazing innovation, they didn't figure out you know, the pricing, the packaging, who actually would buy this, understanding that the internet wave was just beginning. And so I think it's really, really important to have a product market fit, but really, no matter how small that niche is, that you're doing something that no one else in the world is doing, That's that, and doing it better um, is really the most important thing. If you don't have that, you know, building the business model, getting the salespeople, doing the marketing, it's, it's just not going to not going to be um, unlikely to be successful. Mm -hmm. And what about what about so what about metrics? What, what do you in terms of metrics uh, at Conviva that you mm -hmm. look at? What, you know, what are you focused on? What 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 metrics uh, sure. matter so to you? Sure. From so metrics t typically are going to be more around financial performance. So obviously, uh, and so we're doing software as a service, right? So software as a service is basically buying software on a subscription basis, and it's a very popular way to run a business in in the enterprise software world. So that's more my vantage point. So from my vantage point, we will look at things like bookings, which is how many how many uh, how many millions of dollars are we booking in a given quarter or given year? Um, we will look at profitability uh, at, at our stages. We're growing, um, aiming to basically be break even and profitable by the end of this year. Um, there are other metrics around um, something called a SAS magic number, which is a sales efficiency metric that you want to be at a certain number. There's another around what's called net revenue retention. And what that is, is how successfully are you growing your existing customer base? And there's another one called gross revenue retention, which is around how 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 what percentage of your customers stay with you or subtracting it from 100, what percent of those customers churn? So those are some of the type of metrics. If you're on the B2C side, then it may be, you know, consumer downloads and, and uh, uh, you know, adoption of a product, especially if you're giving it away for free. But for the world of enterprise B2B, those metrics I just shared with you are, are, are fairly standard. And um, and we run we run them pretty tightly, making sure and that what that does, if we're hitting those four or five numbers, it means our, our business model is working. Nice. So would you so uh, so things are going pretty well right now at Conviva. Seems like you you guys are at the break even point or will be by the end of this year. Um, as you, as you guys progress through this year, which is, you know, just started, but. Uh, what 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 are you what are you focused on most this year? What what are some things that you guys have in in the works or that you're that you're excited about? Yeah, so we have um, we have you know 200, 250 uh, key publisher customers around the world. Pretty much every every ma almost every major uh, streaming TV provider works with us. So we always continue to focus on providing value um, to, to our key, um, in our key products. I think the two things um, I'm really excited about this year is we've, we've had a closed platform um, that we're gonna begin opening up that platform uh, by summertime. 
uh, to customers who can develop on top of what we do, as well as developer partners who can offer niche solutions on top of our platform. So we are working hard on that right now, and there's a lot of external interest in our doing so. I think the other big thing is the world of advertising. Right now, amazingly, 35% of ads do not run as intended on streaming TV, or put another way, only 65% of ads are running successfully, which is a big, 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 big problem when you would expect expect that number to be closer to 100%. So we are working both with publishers and very soon advertisers to help ensure that that advertising works as intended um, on streaming. The advantage for the publishers, of course, is uh, they can ultimately make more money. The advantage for the advertiser is they know their ad ran as it was supposed to and that they ultimately reached their intended audience. So I think for us, continue to grow the core business, continue to grow globally. We've got uh, a lot of excitement in, in some key markets around the world. And then, um, and then really work with uh, work with publishers and advertisers to really fix this uh, currency problem, if you will, um, in the world of streaming TV. I'd imagine that once that number creeps close, uh, gets really close to a hundred percent, it will help speed that transition, right? Um, from from t- from linear TV to you know streaming. Uh, well, without yeah, yeah, without question, because today, and I don't have the exact numbers, so these are estimates, but something like thirty percent of the world's population, their main way of watching TV is streaming, but it's something like six percent of the ad dollars, the TV budget dollars, are on streaming, right? So those dollars typically are going to follow the eyeballs. The six percent of 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 TV budgets that are streaming should be a lot higher, but they can't be higher if the advertising is not working successfully in streaming. Once it's working successfully in streaming, publishers then are going to make those that offer advertising are going to make more money, which enables them to have better content and maybe even better distribution, which then is going to increase the cycle of people moving away from linear and onto streaming TV. So, so long way of saying you're exactly right. Right. No, that, that, make, that makes perfect sense. So, Let's talk a little bit more about um, this. Is the last this is the last thing I want to talk about before we get to the lightning round. Um, this is something also you have experience with, considering you have come in and replaced founder uh, leadership as CEO um, a number of times now. And I'm curious because at some point in company's life, there may um, be a time right where new leadership is necessary in order to take the company to the next level. Whether that be because the founder just doesn't have the requisite skill set that 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 the board feels uh, they need to do it, or maybe they just don't want to do that. They want to focus more on a product-oriented mm-hmm. role, for example. Um, what are some of the signs that you've seen or uh, that uh, that you that you can attest to that that are there when it's time to hire a professional, let's, let's say CEO, and uh, what does that transition look like from the uh, from from your perspective, but also if you can give uh, the the founder perspective, what they can expect. Sure. I think from a founder, I mean, I think it's, it's two things really. Sometimes founders, you know, what happens is the CEO job changes as the company grows, right? The CEO job, if you're founding a company with three people is completely different than the CEO job at 300 people, which is completely different than when you have 3000 people, right? So 
everyone has their stage of expertise, which which we had talked about earlier. So sometimes the CEO would say, I really liked it when it was five people and there were no revenues and we were, you know, just playing around with some ideas and concepts. And then eventually that has to turn to, to running a business. So sometimes the CEO will, will pipe up and say, this this isn't for me anymore. I still want to be involved in the company. Uh, I still want to be on the board. And that's usually one one scenario. The other scenario is is especially as you take venture capital money, you are expected to hit your numbers. And if you miss your numbers uh, too many times in a row, uh, they may look to bring in bring in somebody. So um, that those are usually the only two two scenarios. Either the person doesn't want to do the job or they want to do the job. But if you're not if the company is not growing, especially once you take VC money, um, then then somebody might like myself will be will be brought in. Um, regarding the transition, since I've now done this four times, I think the most important thing is like yourself is, is you built a company previously. I have unbelievable respect for anyone who starts a company. I think it's really, really hard. And the only person who really understands how hard it is, is that actual entrepreneur, founder, CEO. So I really come in usually in awe, even though I usually come in, there's going to be issues in the business. It's like, wow, this person has taken this business this far as I trans. So one is, is really showing that person, the founder, let's say founder, CEO, a lot of respect Two is really honoring the culture. There is a culture that got the company to this point. That culture may need to change a little bit, but really honoring that. And then three is really, uh, proactively communicating and partnering with that founder. So Hui Zhang, who was the founder and CEO here, who did an unbelievable job, I was brought in to help take it to the next level. We sit next to each other. We talk every single day. Um, I think we partner well because he's way more technical and more smart than I am on, on technology issues. And then hopefully I, I can compliment him pretty well. And then, you know, you keep keep those communication line open. And remember, we're part of a team. We're on Team Conviva. We have this opportunity to really be the the the, the global analytics platform for streaming TV, which is an incredible, incredible goal to really be the source of truth uh, for the industry and keep keeping our eyes on that North Star and working together with and there's other founders here as well. So there's there's four founders that are still with the company. Um, and really working with them closely and uh, and partnering and knowing we really we really want the same things and then having them understand yes I've got to make some changes and I think you know trying to be a change agent which which I am but try to trying to do it as being a nice person try to do it in a way that's respectful to what was built here in the culture is is what you're aiming to do it's a little bit of threading a fine line between you know honoring and respecting which is really important but making sure that you you are holding yourself and others accountable uh, to to help get the company to the next level. I I like I like I like that answer a lot. And I feel like it's if you know if you came in to replace me, I feel like that I'd be pretty pretty happy if that if that was the approach you took. <laughs> um, no, but but really, I, I, Bill, I, well, I enjoy. If you, need, if you need me to guest host a podcast under that, I, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I'll, I'll, I might take you up on that. <laughs> um, no, but uh, Bill, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I was, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I think we covered a lot of great topics. And I think the listeners will learn a lot. And 
So I appreciate you being on. But now it's time for the lightning round. Mm. So whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. All right. I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to expect, but uh, fire away. <laughs> That's just the way we like it here. What is one food you can never bring yourself to eat? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> uh, I know what it is. Um, it, it's uh, Vegemite. Vegemite. Okay. That's very popular down in Australia, right? You were just recently down there, right? I was down there, and it smells awful. I could never bring myself to eat it. Would you ever go skydiving? Um, I, I'm an adventurous guy, but I would say no. I, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't. For me, I just, I just don't have the urge. Like, I don't feel that. Like, that's not something. Like, I feel like you either have the urge to do it or you don't. You know, you know what I mean. I definitely, I definitely <laughs> do not. What? Uh, who's your uh, favorite artist or band? Uh, favorite artist and band that is it that is a good one because it's ever changing but if I say growing up um, uh, I would say I love Led Zeppelin in the 70s and I loved uh, early to mid uh, U2 in the 80s and Radiohead in the 90s nice all excellent choices this one's this one's uh, relevant to today's conversation what's your favorite streaming service <laughs> <laughs> you know I cannot. I love all <laughs> customers equally and therefore can't pick one. All right. Fair enough. Last question. If you could choose to be one age forever, what age would you choose? Wow. Um, <laughs> I would say my current age. All right. I like that. I'm not going to ask what how old what you answers are. Do, I'm curious. What answers, what answers do people give? Uh... For this one, uh, it ranges. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember a specific response, but um, th we haven't actually done this one that that frequently. So, what about what is it for you? I'm curious. Um, for me, uh, you know, they say 30 is the new 20, and I just turned 30, so I'll, I'll go with that too. All right, every 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 <laughs> age every age is good. So uh, it has its pro has its pros, mostly pros and. A few cons. I think as you get over forty, which I am, the the physical physical breakdowns of the body start happening a, a bit. If you've played a lot of sports, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it's starting to happen to me in certain parts where if I like turn the wrong way, uh, <laughs> I feel a right. little you know pull in my side or something. But yeah, Bill, I appreciate you spending some time with us today on a Friday. Um, Absolutely. And uh, if, if anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you to learn more about Convivo or yourself, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Twitter at Bill Demas, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll check my comments more frequently. Well, Bill, thanks again for being on. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Great. Hey, Jeff, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.